0: The saying goes, when you need to lose yourself, you will find yourself in a garden. A beautiful garden can inspire us, restore us and calm us. This is Blooming Lovely
1: with Melanie Walker. And as always, it's a blooming lovely day today. Yes, uh, a very good morning to all of you. And uh, it's so nice to be able to see you walk outside and go... Goodness me, what is that up there? What is that color? Because I think we got so used to just seeing clouds and gray skies for such a long time that we go outside and there's suddenly sunshine and blue skies. It's it's really an enthralling sight quite frankly and I I really enjoy it. Now on my way here today what I do is I I really kind of need to keep my eyes on the road but a lot of the time I spend looking at how amazing everything is looking especially after all the rain we've had but please do be careful if uh, we have heavy rains again that you don't walk under trees. (laughs) I've just seen so many trees come crashing down but last week when I was chatting to Shirley Wallington, we were talking about what trees were good trees for a small garden and for me at this time of the year i just Love the softness of the colors, and the, and the one that really epitomizes the whole of summer for me, of course, is the pride of India or the Logostromia speciosa. So it actually comes from, it's not indigenous, it's from southern eastern Asia. It's deciduous and it has these incredible flowers which go from a very bright pink to a, a kind of a light purple. And you'll see them in all those different colors, but it's for me the bark. Okay, I absolutely, the the colors on the bark and the shading on the bark is one of the most amazing things about this tree. And there's a wonderful house down in the dirt road in Parkhurst, which has, I think, a little copse of about 12 of them in a small space, like about, about a four by four meter space with 12 of these trees. And it just looks fantastic because, of course, they don't get that big. They, they grow moderately to around about three and a half meters tall and two meters wide in the first 10 years. So it's a, it grows not slowly, but not too fast either. But it's um, like the, it, the height that it will get to eventually will be around about six to seven meters with a spread of three to four meters. So it really is a great tree for a small property. And of course, as I said, that. The colors in the bark, the colors of the flowers on the tree at this time of the year, because you don't, I mean, agapanthus are going and everything, but that one specifically is brilliant. And then, of course, a couple of years ago, what they did is they brought out a a new Variety of the Pride of India with dark black leaves which of course then gives this amazing contrast with the bright purple vibrant blooms that it has Um, so if you are thinking well I need to get a tree and I want to put it in but it's a small space, what can I use? Seriously don't look any further than that, that is just the absolute best Um, It is December time, I'm sure a lot of you are going on holiday, if you haven't left on holiday already, um, wherever you're doing whatever you're doing, wherever you're going and remember with all the load shedding still in place, although I believe we're going down to stage five tomorrow morning at five o'clock and then hopefully to stage four, because now they've brought out the army to look after all of the places that people are sabotaging. Just drive carefully. That is the most important thing. We, we don't want to becoming one of the statistics, and and do watch out for pedestrians. It's about sixty seven percent of the pedestrians that uh, people who are killed on the roads over the festive season are actually pedestrians. And I had two people nearly walk into me while I was driving slowly yesterday. So just be aware, people are, are kind of all over the place at the moment. Anyway, so what you should be doing in your garden, of course, is relaxing and enjoying it and if you have a swimming pool invite people around to come and have a bit of a goof as we used to say when we were younger i mean i'm just i can't wait for a day when i'm not working where i can go to my friend's house because it's heated to 30 degrees and just floating around in the pool with a couple of pool noodles spend the entire day like that just remember what baz lerman said don't forget the sunscreen all right we're going to be talking to somebody really interesting in a short while Um, about pools um, and how to actually make your pool something which is a little bit more eco-friendly. Because if you think about pools as they are, the bright blue sparkling pool that we all have, like having that big, large green lawn, then they're usually not particularly environmentally friendly. So there is a way of converting pools into something which... Fits in with the landscape and is a little bit easier to look after as well. So we'll be chatting to Anthony Fulbrick from Wetland Pools after we go and pay the bills. But first of all, a little bit of a summer breeze coming through the studio right now from Seals and Craft. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And the only thing you have to do is to be there right now to find out about how to make your backyard into the place that you want to spend most of your time. Which means, you know, if we have a really nice back garden and you really enjoy what you're doing and you you feel comfortable in it and you're in touch with nature in it, you don't really need to even go away anywhere. You can just have a holiday at home. What do they call them again? Staycations. Uh, which is what I'm doing this year for a while, anyway. Um, but one thing I don't have um, at my place because it's it's really small. Okay, you know, small properties, and <laughs> the house right in the middle of the small property doesn't lend itself to actually having a pool. Um, but one of the things I would have done had I been able to put a pool in is of course not put in something which is blue and needs lots of chlorine or anything like that. I would have definitely from the start gone for something what they call like a swim pond or a natural pool or an eco-wonderland. And that's what we're talking about today is if you have a pool, if you want to change it, how to do so. And the person who I've met and, and Dealt with over the years when it comes to creating some of the most amazing spaces I've ever seen is Anthony Fulbrick of Wetland Pools. And he's with us right now. How are you doing, Anthony?
0: Hi, morning, Melanie.
1: I'm good. That's excellent. Now, the first time I saw one of your pools and I was fascinated by watching the process was with um, Jane Griffiths of Jane's Delicious Garden, Jane's Delicious Kitchen, Jane's Delicious Books, okay? Not that you eat the books, but everything that she talks about. She's a veggie gardener, okay? And she decided with her house um, that her pool was a mission to look after, and then she got hold of you and I watched what you guys were doing with this, this pool that she can still swim in. And it has fish and it has everything. And it is absolutely stunning. What makes many people decide, okay, fine, I'm going to convert my like normal swimming pool into an eco-wonderland?
0: Well, Melanie, I think most people actually hate their swimming pool. Um, <laughs> it's this thing in the garden that gets used 1% of the time. It consumes humongous amounts of of chlorine and energy and money, and and really doesn't doesn't add massively to the to their lives, um, except for when you swim in it. So it's, it has these brief periods of being fantastic, and the rest of the time it's a real pain. So this is really a sort of balance between you know it, it, we, we we're more cost effective if you have a, a natural pool. Um, you can enjoy it 24/7. It's it's it it becomes a part of your garden, and over and above that, woo You can still swim in it. And not only can you swim in it, but the water quality is so much nicer hmm. um, that you know you don't you don't have chlorine all over your skin. You don't you know you you it really is a it, it's an absolute transformation. It's chalk and cheese.
1: Okay, because I mean, one of the things as well with like you know, I don't think we have the problem at the moment. But when the water gets switched off here in Johannesburg, which has happened so much, Mm -hmm. I mean, we were on water Mm -hmm. restrictions, and in fact, we still are on water restrictions. That's one thing we must remember. Everybody says, "Oh, but the Vaal is full, and we've had so much rain." And I'm like, "Yeah, but we don't get our water from there. We get our water from the Lesotho Highlands Project." Okay, so if it hasn't been raining there, then our water is not going to be as as uh, much as as you think it should be. But um, the, the whole thing about having a wetland pool or a, a swim pond and as you said the water quality is much better is that you can actually use it <laughs> you can you can drink mm-hmm. it whereas with an ordinary yeah. swimming pool you've got this whole thing with lots and lots of water which you you can't use for washing and you can't use for drinking so I mean is, for me it's a no-brainer I mean how often did you have people when the water was being switched off saying to okay I need to convert my pool now
0: yeah I, I think people are very short memories i mean we we have a number of instances where that happened and it was you know the the, the natural pool became the water source for the local community in many instances you know people arrive on mass with buckets saying we you know you've got decent water can we have some um i mean if you if you compare a normal swimming pool so a normal swimming pool the water is this rich nutrient soup so every time anyone swims in it any Water that you know any any kid that pees in that water or whatever you throw chemicals in there to try and maintain it exactly as it is, um, not let nature take its course. Whereas in a natural pool, anything that ends up in the pool gets processed almost immediately, uh, stripped out of the nutrient uh, out of the water. It becomes broke gets broken down to its basic nutrient components, and grows out as plants. And all you're left with is this fantastic clean water. So yeah, it it is a huge advantage as well. To have a natural pool when when water is tight, yeah.
1: Okay, so what is some of the what? How do you start? I mean, if you've got an, an existing swimming pool and you you want to change it now, okay. I mean, mm-hmm. how difficult is it to do that? Do you want to take us through the process of what one needs to do and to to convert it completely?
0: Okay, so um, most people have a you know a pool which is a certain area, a certain size. Um, there was a tradition in the sort of sixties and seventies of massive pools. Um, they tend to be shrinking a little bit now but i mean if you have a massive pool you might often want to make it a bit smaller so what we do is we do a design exercise so I'm you know by training I'm an architect we come in and we we design for you and we design a pool that works uh, and usually we'll look at when it's conversion we almost invariably are converting within the existing pool shell so in other words we we consider the area of the whole pool and we put the entire of the wetland and the pool within that shell um and if we're doing that we're looking for you it's a pretty much half of the area half the surface area wants to become wetland um, and from a design point of view the wetland we usually split into two um part of it is is a, is a is a what we call a gravel wetland um so what you see is you see gravel and you see plants growing in gravel and then we often put in a water lily area uh, and the balance between those two is about one third to two thirds um so one third water lilies two thirds um gravel wetland and then really it's just about arranging the shape uh, of, of how these elements can relate to each other. Uh, and then we need to do a bit of thinking because it's now, it's not a, you know, it's not the kitchen sink that you're throwing Jack into. It's mm. now a sort of living, breathing system. Um, and so you really need to think about the water flow, how it's going to work, how skimmers are going to work. You know, we we I always want to design pools so that if a leaf lands in the middle of the night, that there is there's tension on the water surface that's going to move that leaf. From wherever it lands, and into a skimmer, or out of the way, out of your swimming area, so it doesn't sink into the bottom of the swimming area, um, so that it's as, as clean as possible.
1: But how does it actually work? I mean, you know, if you've got fish in there, and then you've got you know water that people are swimming in, how how does it work? The actual whole system of getting that water filtered and so
0: clean. Mm. So we we do primarily two things: we we do uh, physical filtration and biofiltration. Now, let's start, okay, physical filtration, everyone knows. that's what a normal pool has. It has a sand filter. you take the water, you push it through the filter at high pressure, uh, and it comes out the other side and any debris gets stuck in the sand. with a natural pool, we we do exactly the same thing. But instead of using a, a small bowl with gravel in, or with, with with very fine sand inside it, which you have to take huge pressure to push the water through, we have a very large surface area. Uh, and we use gravel, 13 mil brownstone gravel usually. Um, and and so you don't have to have a pump that pumps at high pressure if you've got ten or twelve cubes of gravel there. Um, so that's the first thing we do. There's a physical trap for debris, and then we 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 use what they use in in koi ponds and fish ponds and in filtration systems. Um, fish filtration systems, particularly, uh, is a biological filter. Now, a biological filter is a an aerobic, so it's an oxygen breathing filter. Um, and really what happens is you want surface area and Protozoa and bacteria will cling to any surface area within the filter and As they cling there and water moves slowly past them what they do is they will ingest any Debris any organic anything that's in that water They'll munch it up and poo it out and they'll break it down to its basic nutrient components So for example, you, you have you have your skin that goes in there it gets broken down almost You know within a couple of hours down to the basic nutrient components of your skin, which is really fundamentally phosphates, nitrates, and some salts. Now, phosphates, nitrates, and salts are what plants grow. on, mm. And so you plant, so so the, the biofilter is then the surface area initially of that all that gravel that we put in, um, and then as the roots of the plant, as the plants grow, so the roots increase and grow exponentially that surface area. And as they grow, they are also absorbing the excess nutrients that is being produced by life happening in that swimming pool. And then in order to keep your pool clean, you need to trim the plants periodically. And as you know, Melanie, in any garden, you need to trim the plants periodically, otherwise it gets overgrown. So it's the same sort of gardening process that then really cleans your pool.
1: So this is basically almost like a a complete aquaponic system that's going on here because your plants, I mean, okay, we're not growing, we're not doing agriculture, but you essentially, you could actually do it instead of using wetland plants. Could you use, put veggies in one section like you would with you an could, aquaponics yeah. system?
0: Yeah, you could. Um, the the aquaponics is complicated because most veggies don't like their their roots to be submerged in water 24-7. So you need to aerate those roots. So you, you most aquaponics have a sort of flushing system where they fill up and then they empty and they fill up and they empty. So, you could do that, you'd, you'd have the sounds of toilet flushing 24-7, but, you know, <laughs> absolutely, you could do it. Um, but there's a downside, though, um, which is why most people don't end up doing that, and that is that the, um, the natural pool is a low-nutrient environment, fundamentally,
1: mm.
0: so... Yeah when you grow veggies, you want a high nutrient environment, you know, and, and most people's gardens is, it's about high nutrient environments. So you, 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 pump as much nutrient in, you put in bone meal, you put in compost, all of these things because they're high in nutrient that the plants have access to. Whereas we're doing exactly the opposite. We're saying whatever little bit of nutrient is in the water, the plants have to survive on that. Um, and so you have not the healthiest looking plants ever. Mm. Um, and this is because these are hard-working plants. They aren't sort of lazy plants, just looking good. These are these are hungry plants. I
1: like that. And so so good-looking plants are lazy, are they? Are they like people? I'm I'm good-looking, so therefore
0: Absolutely. I can be as lazy as I want to be. There, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. So. so you know, you can, so you're not going to grow great veggies is what I'm getting
1: at. Okay, yeah, no. Well, what plants would you use? I mean, obviously your restios, a lot of them, the ones that you'd find in wetlands themselves. And we will talk about wetlands mm. in a moment because I know that's something that both of us are very passionate about. Water lilies are an obvious thing. And how much of the surface of the pool would you need to have covered by water? Uh, and, and why do you need the water lilies? Okay, so water
0: lilies don't do much in terms of the physical um, filtration system. So they're not part of the biofilter, they're not part of filtration, but what they're doing is they're creating a niche, um, for, bio, for, for, zooplankton. So for, for, for you have little swarms of things like water fleas and stuff like that, that will live under the leaves of the water lilies. Uh, and at night they go wandering around your zoo and they, they're predators and they look for whatever food they can find. And they also, they eat, they eat any waterborne algae that they can find. Um, so it's really about creating another niche.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, that's what the, the water lilies are about.
1: Okay. And so what other plants, I mean, I'm just looking at, um, as I mentioned, Jane Griffith's um, swim pond, which you created, which was the first one I ever saw. And I was absolutely fin- like, because I'd been to her house and seen her pool and the water was like, mm. she had a cover on it when, before you changed it. And the pool was just completely black algae on the side of it because it had been standing for such a long time. And, and that transformation was amazing and it just gave you that whole new mm-hmm. a place that's full of life rather than kind of just a mm-hmm. sterile area. So so what plants, I'm trying to look at the plants that you've got in the picture here. I mean, You know which plants are the best ones to plant in that area. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, Louisiana irises, would they work well, but they're good looking. Would they do the work?
0: Yeah, yeah. no, they would work. Look, I mean, you, you can use any water plant or plant that will survive in water. There's a There's a principle that you want to go for. You want to go for as many species of plants as possible, and this is this is actually one of the battles I have with landscapers because landscapers only like three or four species. You know, they're like they're 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 Puritans usually, whereas I'm I'm a moreesmeria person.
1: Mm.
0: So, um, you know, I, I we usually tend to go for indigenous, um, just because this is South Africa and we want to encourage, you know indigenous plants firstly and secondly if you have indigenous plants you get a much better interaction with the local fauna Um, so birds will eat stuff and they know it and they nest in it and all of those sorts of things Um, but but you can yeah i mean louisiana irises absolutely you can plant them and we have people who like louisiana irises and we plant them Um, i did a pool recently where the guy like cannas so we planted lots of cannons but the key thing is is not too few plants lots and lots of different species of plants um, so, I mean, I can I can be more specific if
1: you want. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, because you know, as li- landscapers, most of us are actually taught don't have too many plants. I mean, too many different species of plants. You should have a limited palette because otherwise, it starts mm. looking like scrambled eggs. But I think that if you if you look at an actual wetland itself, and and you go, I would go with what you would find in a natural wetland. Mm. But then, what yeah, would I mean, you find it is there? A-
0: well, it is a little bit scrambled eggs, I'm afraid. So we, we tend to look at, you You get different ranges of plants. So you get water lilies that float on the surface. You get um, underwater plants. Uh, so we, we we put in valisneria. We've got an, an isolepsis. So these are underwater grasses that grow in those spaces. Um, then as you get you get ground covers, you get, well, I mean, so they're not ground covers, they're sort of water covers. You you, you get some lobelias. Um, there's lobelia anseps. There's um, juncus lamartophyllis. There's cotulas, couple of cotulas that we use. Uh, and then you get into, as you say, the um uh, the grasses. So um the sedges, as everyone in Cape Town refers to them. Um so we'll use duckweed, um, we'll use um, juncus effusus, um hmm, a range of of, of, of of plants like that. Uh then there's arum lilies, there's plantains, there's um. Uh, there's loads of different plants up through, up through as you get taller you get to the papyruses we use watsonias we put in i mean there's really the the, the sky is the limit there, there are probably from an indigenous point of view there are probably about 50 different um, indigenous water plants available. And we, we tend to choose a palette of about 25, 26 for most of our pool. Mm,
1: obviously, you can't do things like watercress or specific irises, the flags, the ones that have been put onto the invasive yeah. list. So <laughs> to, yeah. if you're trying to do that, don't do it, okay? You could get into a lot of trouble.
0: But Yeah, yeah well, I mean, interestingly, I, th- we, I mean, it's interesting to talk about it. I mean, watercress, for example, is a declared weed. Mm. Uh, and yet you can buy the plant at Woolworths in a, in a, in a little box, and you, you can take that plant and put it in the water and it'll grow. And if you go to places like Emerentia, you'll find it's growing along, along the rivers. And I think it's from too many cucumber sandwiches with watercress in it.
1: <laughs> oh, I like that idea a lot. Um, but now the one thing that uh, a lot of people always ask about, of course, is you know we're not going to talk immediately about how much it costs to put something like this if you starting it from the beginning or um creating Mm. changing a pool but what about the pumps i mean your pump will probably have to what run all day long
0: Mm. yeah we run 24 7 um and 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 obviously the question well okay so we run 24 7 but we have much more efficient pumps that's the key but what Um, do you do during load shedding well in load shedding they go off (laughs) There's (laughs) nothing you can really do about it but you know they can go off, off every so often so basically the the it, it's probably the first year or so that you you want it to run for as long as possible. But even then, with a bit of load shedding, it's not a problem. Hmm. Um, so what happens when you, you know you've you've got you've got this deep gravel filter, which is a biofilter, and it's an aerobic filter. So instead of it just being so in most ponds, it's just the surface area that is exposed to oxygen. And so you really have a very shallow. So most wetlands have actually got a very shallow aerated area. Uh, and most of it's anaerobic, where most of it's not got oxygen to it. Mm. Whereas with, with a biofilter, with, with, with our systems or with a natural pool system, the water is moving through that filter, through that biofilter. So if the water stops moving, the biofilter starts to run out of oxygen. Um, and it's about an hour and a half die off. Uh, and after about an hour and a half, it's, it's no longer active. Uh, and then when the power comes back on again, it takes about an hour and a half until it's up and running again. So you lose a little bit, but it's not the end of the world. And it's also one of the reasons why you want to make sure you've got a decent-sized wetland. You know, a lot of, a lot of people are, are selling natural pools with smaller and smaller wetlands because then it's cheaper, and so it's easier to sell it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a safety factor. You know, it's, it's it's like if you have an engineer who says, well, you know, we can put in a smaller piece of steel, but, you know, your safety factor goes down. At, at which point do you say, well, hang on, actually, I'm going to stop at this point? Um, so I tend to I tend to err on the side of giving better water quality. And so when you have things like load shedding, it's not a problem. So yeah, you know, the, the, the area of the pool wants to be about the same area as the wetland for it mm. to be comfortable in terms of, of 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 it being bulletproof, really, it really surviving well.
1: But if you're having to run the pump all day, isn't that using up a lot of electricity? When when we have electricity, of course.
0: Yeah. Well it's about it's about the efficiency of a pump. So a conventional swimming pool pump. I mean yes it is going to use some electricity, no question. Now a conventional swimming pool pump you put on for maybe 4 hours a day, but that's a high pressure pump. not only is it a high pressure pump, but it's a noisy high pressure pump because they tend to, to have uh, external fan impellers. Uh, and so you have these pumps that are noisy and use a lot of guzzle a lot of power. So, you know, as a comparison, if you've got a 750 watt pump on a let's say a 50,000 liter pool. We can probably run that in that same pool on a 150 watt pump, which runs 24/7. So you're not saving a lot in electricity. It's probably a very similar, um, similar electricity consumption to a normal pool, mm. but it's silent and it runs 24/7. So it's a much, uh, much more evened out use of power. Um, than a, a pool pump that kicks in for a few hours a day.
1: But have you been working perhaps with like a solar alternative you know, that you could like have like your solar panel, which then you can save like electricity into whatever it is. I don't know how these things work. Um, but is there a possibility of doing it and running it solar?
0: Sure, you can you can run anything on solar. Um, and, you know, we've got some pools that do run entirely on solar. The problem is, though, that because you're running 24-7, you have to have battery backup. So, and most of the pumps, most of the efficient pumps at this at this stage are AC pumps, alternating current pumps. So you then have to run an inverter as well. So, it's not really very cost effective to run to set up an entire system to run the pool. You know. So what I always say to people is set up a system to run your house. If you're going to spend the money, put that money on your house and let the pool go off every so often. It doesn't matter, um, rather than focusing all that money and energy on the pool. But absolutely, you know, as 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 time goes on, we do have a lot of a lot of pools that are running now on solar systems, and people with solar systems are running their pools. Uh, and it's not a problem, yeah.
1: Okay, well, we're going to get into the, the costs and the nitty-gritty of it um, after we pay the bills, so do stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Blooming Lovely with Melanie Walker. And today we're talking about not just plants but also how to create a really holistic area around your home especially when it comes to one of the two things which are probably one of the most water guzzling things in in your your country <laughs> any country in fact which are lawns and swimming pools. Anthony Foldbrick uh, before we get to talking about um the costs involved with putting in or creating a new natural pool in your backyard. Um, let's have a word about wetlands. I mean, I think those are one of the mm. biomes in South Africa that are most under threat. Uh, compared to, apart from maybe the grasslands in South Africa, which are also being kind of taken out at a rate of knots. What is going on with our wetlands? Has there been a lot more in the way of people who are getting involved in rehabilitating them or trying to protect them? Or is agriculture and, and big business still completely annihilating them um, and just keeping on going?
0: I'm afraid the people are just keeping on going and rolling on and, and annihilating them. There are all sorts of attempts to to protect them. but The the tricky thing with wetlands is they're actually very difficult to spot. You know, a wetland is really a a big sponge which holds water and releases it slowly. Um, And, you know, know, for example, to to give you an example, um, I live near to Zoo Lake. Now, people don't realize that Zoo Lake, not just the lake itself, but the entire garden, the whole area of Zoo Lake is, in fact, a very big wetland. And it acts like this huge sponge with water slowly moving through it. Um, and 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 unfortunately, you know, even even just locally here, people don't realize that. You know, even the city council, I was very involved with them for a while in in, in the Zoo Lake Users Committee, they don't realize that you can't just build a road across the lawns at Zoo Lake. Um, because you're actually damaging and disturbing the natural water flow that goes on underground, very slow seepage of water, which is what the wetland is all about.
1: Mm. And, and the bigger wetlands, I mean, which are the ones that have been like really taken out badly? I, I mean, I know they're kind of out more in the agricultural areas. But, I mean, okay, let's just take it just around Johannesburg. So you say about Zoo Lake. What other areas are there where there are wetlands that have been identified that people are actually doing something about them?
0: I'm not a great expert on, on, on natural wetlands, I'm oh, afraid. Oh, come on, why not? You should be. You should be. Well, I know I should be, but I'm <laughs> not. I focus on what I focus on, yeah, unfortunately. Mm.
1: Because I, I know that there's a there's a whole group of people out in Kyalami where they've been uh, rehabilitating a wetland out there, and, and I find it very um, encouraging to find that those same people, if they've got swimming pools, are changing them to wetland pools as well. Mm. So. Yeah. Do you need a lot of money to do this? Um, I mean, if if you're going to, is it going to be costing you the same amount to put in if you're starting from scratch if you don't have a pool, for instance? Would it cost you the same to put in a wetland pool as it would to put in a normal pool? And how much would it cost to convert a normal pool into a swim pond?
0: Okay, so um, yeah, it does cost more. Um, it costs more because you've you've got to build a wetland, uh, and so the wetland is give or take the same area as the swimming pool so you've you've now got another water body that you have to to build line and align and and whatever um so so it is more expensive from that point of view but then you know you have to take the you have to consider that from your from your landscaping budget rather than from your swimming pool budget is what i always tell developers um because really it becomes a, a natural landscape it becomes a you know it becomes a, a part of your, your your landscaping it becomes a what would you call it—a flower bed, effectively, on the side of your garden? So, yeah, it, it does cost more. I mean, we've, we've we've done calculations, and it's if if you convert your pool, the the amount of money that you spend on the conversion is usually regained over about a five year period. Uh, so you save over five years what you spend up front. So it's a bit like solar panels; they're about a five year um, payoff.
1: How do you how do you recoup the, the spend? In, in what form?
0: Well, you well, you you don't buy chemicals and you use less uh, less less electricity. Um, so it's it's it, it's it's in savings more than anything.
1: Mm, okay. So now, say I've got a swimming pool. What is the, what is a normal size swimming pool? I don't even know. Um, <laughs> I probably about to have something which is two meters by two meters, and that's about it.
0: Yeah, there's no normal. I mean, everyone. I'm often asked what is what is the price for converting a normal pool? There is no normal pool. Everybody has different sizes. You know, in the '70s, a normal pool was 10 meters by five meters by two meters deep. Yeah. Um, these days, a the normal pool is probably about. Uh, five metres by three metres, that sort of size.
1: Okay, so if you've got a five um, metre we... by three metre by two metre pool, okay, how much, for instance, around about just a ballpark figure, to convert that and how much um, swimming space would you actually have at the end of the day?
0: Well, a five by three by two, uh, five by three is very small. Hmm. So you would want to, if you have a five by three metre pool, you'd probably want to put the wetland outside of that pool um, so you wouldn't convert it inside the pool. So you would then take a section of your garden, and uh, build a wetland there. Um, uh, in other words, build a, you know, a little flower bed, which would then have all these natural plants, which would water themselves. Mm. What would it cost? Well, that would probably cost in the order of about eighty thousand, ninety thousand. I should imagine gut feel. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's assuming that you 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 know. There's there's always assumptions. Um, but the the most cost effective way of doing something like that is you you dig a hole in the ground, um, and you line it with a liner. And that becomes your, your water retaining body. So, you know, it's, it's, if, if, if you're going to swim, you don't particularly want to swim in a, in a fabric liner, whereas if you, if your, your plants don't mind what their water is being kept in by. Uh, and a fabric liner is the most cost effective way to do that.
1: Okay, so now if you've got a big pool, like um, I'm trying to think the one that I usually swim in, which is about say four meters by 12 meters by, you know, going from one meter down to two meters. Now would, would you would you actually this is an interesting thing would you have to decide which way you're going to divide the pool up first of all? I mean yeah. would you, you know if we're going to take it, the deep end is going to be where you've got your reed bed or would you take it like down the middle so that you have a long thin pool? I mean it, does that just go on the architecture of the house or do people yeah. have specific preferences or is there a better way of doing it?
0: No, there's no better way of doing it. It's a design exercise. So it's really about how you're going to use the pool and how you're going to see it. Mm-hmm. So most people most people who are converting their pools, their kids have grown up, so there's no longer kind of crazy, splashing, mad running around. So as you get older, you tend to want to swim lengths. So we, we often end up keeping lengths. Um, so you end up with, with you know effectively a, a swimming lane within a pool. And very often you put the lane in the foreground and then the wetland is in the background. Okay. And that's the sort of simple, obvious way to do it. And you look over the swimming area at the wetland behind. Uh, and then we usually on the, we will we, we'll build a wall down the middle. And uh, on top of the wall, we usually put a line of stepping stones so you can walk along there and the dog can go and wander along there and so can the cat. And you can get into the, the wetland without having to go through the plants at the back. And yeah, that's, that's I suppose, 70, 80% of our conversions we do like that.
1: Okay, so for that size pool, like a really big pool, that you're not having to dig another big hole, how much on average would that kind of thing cost? I mean, if you take into account you've got to build a wall, or how mm. do you build the wall? You use um, gabions with, um or how do you no. do it on your from your side? No, no.
0: Well, well, when 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 you do now, when you do conversions, so you remember I spoke about lots of gravel. Mm. Um, that that's. The problem with gravel is that gravel has weight; it has mass, uh, and and because it's a loose, uh, uh, because it's lots of loose things piled up, it, it behaves like a liquid effectively. So it has a lot of horizontal loadings from it. Um, so what we've worked out is, in your convertible pool, like you're referring to a you know a conventional swimming pool where you want to have a very large wetland, we we cheat uh, and we actually then use a very shallow area of gravel. We 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 only do about a, a 250 mils of gravel. Uh, and we, we we suspend it, and we create a void on in the wetland area, um, so that the loading from the gravel is is vertical loading as opposed to horizontal loading. Uh, uh, and so when you do that, you can just build a standard conventional two skin brickwork wall because it can carry the load vertically. Okay. And so we divide it with a yeah, usually a two skins of a brickwork. All right, so doing um, that conversion then- that way. Mm.
1: How much would I be putting into my budget, or having to save up to be able to do that, or you know, and say, right, I need to take out a loan on my mortgage, or whatever the people do with mm. um, that kind of thing? Um, would would housing places actually give you a mortgage to be able to do something like this? I mean, is there any incentive from the environmental point of view?
0: I haven't. I haven't come across any bank being enthusiastic or giving any incentives. But banks are like that. They they. They have their rules and they stick to them. Um, so you, you're probably looking at something between mm, probably about 150 or so. Mm. Um, it might be more, might be less, um, because I mean the way we work it out is you do the design, you you add up the the materials, you figure out the amount of labour. I put a markup for myself on top of that. Well, obviously, you're not. Yeah, to to on top nothing. of that, yeah. and off we go. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah. So it, it is very difficult, and 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 a lot of the decisions are. There are, there are small decisions that can make a big difference so what materials you're using makes a big difference so you know those are the, the there are sort of standard prices and then you know if your pool is a fiberglass pool or a marbleite pool um you know it, it, it's it's a different approach mm-hmm. that you have to take um so for example with a with a with a marbleite pool when you need to so the the, the suspended um gravel bed that we we, we put in we usually use gum poles to to hold it together because um, if if water if gum if wood is is submerged completely in water it doesn't rot because it's fungus that wants to to, to break down wood and fungus can't survive in hundred um, percent moisture uh, you know when the wood's completely saturated um, so so in order to support those gum poles in a in a in a marbleite pool you can drill a hole into the wall uh, and we use anchor epoxy and, and and stainless steel threaded rods and you can suspend things on it whereas for example in a fiberglass pool you can't do that so you have to build lots of walls to hold things up so it becomes a little bit more expensive so there are there are there are there are issues that change the price mm.
1: uh,
0: and so it's very much we work out the price of each one as we go
1: okay so yeah it's just nice for people to get a ballpark kind of you know idea of of what the costs are going to be mm. and how it, it all comes together but uh, for me I'm I'm sitting here and just paging through your uh, wetlandpools.com um, website and having a look at some of the the uh, pools that you've done how many pools have you actually converted
0: um, I've done about 350 pools now I would say conversions though is probably about half of them so we've probably converted about what's that 175 or so yeah Mm I haven't got an exact record because, you know, life moves too quickly. I've been doing this for 17 years now. (laughs) It's difficult to keep an accurate check over 17 years.
1: No, I know that. But um, so you're saying half of the people are actually people saying, right, okay, I don't have a pool. I want a pool. And this is how we're going to
0: do the pool. Mm, mm. There's an awful lot of people. uh, We do a lot of new builds, yeah. Um, It's weird. Initially, we were converting a lot more. And now we're doing a lot more new builds.
1: And the smallest and biggest ones you've done?
0: Well, the smallest one, I, I did a, a conversion for somebody. They had a, a pond that was a meter by a meter or a little pool that was a meter by a meter. Well, it wasn't a pool. It was a, it was a hole. And we, we, we put a wetland next to it so they, they had a seat. They could step into their seat and uh, keep, keep, cool. Yeah, keep <laughs> cool in their seat. So that was the smallest bit, <laughs> meter by a meter. Um, and then the biggest I've done, uh, what is the biggest I've done? Hmm. I mean, we've just done a, a 25 by 25 by five meter pool in 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 uh, in or- in Cape Town with a spectacular view. Um, so that's a huge pool. That is um, very We've, big, we've yeah. done some we did we did a um, we did a housing complex in uh, Somerset West where they had five pools that were linked together no, f- sorry, four pools linked together with five wetlands. Uh, and so the, the water moved through the whole system. Uh, it was a, it's it's a, it's a housing, um, not a housing, it's a, it's a holiday, a holiday home, well not a holiday home, it's, 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 what do you call it? It's a, a small hotel actually.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I mean, that, that, that was a massive system with, with, you know, about three, 400,000 litres of water.
1: That is uh, big. In fact,
0: I, I saw, I saw it on television the other day, there's, there's a, there's an exercise programme that seems to run from the garden and the pools are, the pools are in the foreground and the, the planting is in the background. So, it's, it's, it's still going. And that was, you know, we did that 12 years ago, 15, 13 years ago.
1: But I mean, if anybody wants to just actually, you're talking about seeing it in the background. I mean, looking at these these gardens and, and they are gardens because it's not just a pool um on your hmm. website i mean there are they are fantastic the pictures are beautiful i mean you've you've been featured on top billing in pretty much every single gardening magazine and other magazines even back as far back when femina was still going i'm, I'm like i'm sitting there <laughs> 2008 when femina who remembers femina it's like darling magazine from yeah. like the the 80s as well but I'm, They are absolutely beautiful. And I'm sitting here and thinking if if I was ever going to have a pool, that is the only way I'd do it. But as I said, I mean, my space, you know, two by two meters is not going to be really a large space uh, to swim in. But, um, I mean, are you finding that more people are actually becoming a lot more eco-friendly, a lot more aware when it comes to the environment about what they're putting into the environment? Because, of course, chlorine is not – I mean, they make bombs out of that stuff, okay? It's really not Mm. great. It's not great
0: stuff. Yeah, I think I think there is a there is a transition. I mean I think I think what what I tend to do or what we tend to do is we don't we don't advertise. So we really don't want people who don't know what it's about. We want people who know what it's about. And and so we 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 and, and also we don't want a rush of people because we can only do so much work. So what we do is we, we go slow and steady. And so the people who are contacting me are usually people who do know about it and who are environmentally conscious. Um, or cost conscious, um, uh, or, or water quality conscious. We get a lot of people who've got kids who've got chlorine chlorine allergies, uh, and and or have very sensitive skin, and they say, well, you know, we want a pool, but we don't want a horrible chlorine pool. We want a nice a nice pool where we can actually have decent water quality. So yeah, I mean, it was interesting when I first started out. I was getting a lot of doctors uh, and people who, who who understood it from that point of view. Uh, I get a lot of engineers now or oh, then then it moved towards engineers of lately i've, I've been getting priests weirdly i mean it's, it's it's a strange combination you get weird different people coming at different times are so, you saying priests um, you are know, weird <laughs> well no the, the, you know it's the last person you'd think to be environmentally no conscious, absolutely i've just done two pools for two priests i mean how strange but anyway uh, you know so it, it is interesting how the the people who are environmentally conscious seems to be sort of changing or it's like a wave that goes through society of different people becoming aware and then they start contacting you, which is that?
1: Yeah no, look, I mean, I'm a, fa- a huge fan of your work, and I really do think that all pools should be looking like this because um you know water-stressed country, I think that having the best water quality that we could have in in any space in South
0: Africa is the way to go. So yeah. well, I mean one one of the other things that we've we've deliberately done is so so most conventional swimming pools you have to backwash as well. Um, so, you know, I, I did a calculation years ago that there's 60 million litres a month being backwashed out of pools into the river systems in, in Johannesburg from all the pools we've got here. And the water that's being backwashed out is not good quality water, especially if it's a saltwater pool. I mean, saltwater pools are being banned in places like California because of, of of the environmental damage that they are causing by all that salt ending up in river systems. Mm. Um, and in this country now, the law says you have to backwash salt pools into 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 the the store into the drain system into the sewer system because they're starting to recognize the problem of it So we now design our pools in such a way that there's no backwashing required So your gravel filter is going to get it blocked a little bit quicker So, you know, we we, we thought initially that it was about a 25 year period before it get blocked mm. and if you don't backwash out it'll it'll probably be 20 years before it starts to get blocked but in That 20 years, you're not going to be wasting huge amounts of water, and we're a water stressed country, so, so I think it's another good reason to go for a natural pool system is because of the, the ability to not have to backwash that water. Up.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I get very distressed when I see lots of water running down roads and sitting there and thinking, This is why I probably wouldn't have had a, a normal pool, <laughs> mm. but anyhow, so I mean, as I've said, your wet, your um website uh, wetlandpools.com is obviously where everybody can go to go and have a look um and sure. I mean, if you just google uh, wetland pools it'll come up with all the different articles and an array of pictures and stuff and if you're not convinced by having listened to us now if you go and have a look and see some of the projects that Anthony has worked on it'll definitely change your mind about how you should be viewing your backyard so get along sure. there. And I mean that's the best way to get hold of you, hey? Wetlandpools.com yeah. and COSA as well. well wetlandpools.co.za, yeah.
0: Uh, if if you want to see a pool, the, the public one that we've got is at the Cradle Boutique Hotel. They've got a, a very nice pool there and they're very happy to have people come for lunch and go and have a look at the pool. It happens quite a lot.
1: There you go. So we've got pools. plenty of time to do to that. Go and have a look. Yep, go and have a look. Anthony, thank you so much for ta- joining us today. And um I'm I'm going to go and have a look at the what, that pool because I'm I'm completely amazed by the wonderful things that you put in. I'm going to go and steal ideas for planting as well. Uh, Have a very fabulous festive season. Take good care, Anthony, and we'll speak to you again in the new year. And, of course, to the rest of you, I'd like to wish you all a happy Hanukkah. And for those of you who do celebrate a fabulous festive season, and please, as I said earlier, take care on the roads, wherever you're going, whether you're going away or not, please just be careful. Um, I won't be with you on Christmas. Christmas Day or New Year's Day, um, because I will be taking the time off, (laughs) but I will catch up with you again in 2023. Please take care and we will catch up with you then. Goodbye.